0: This is Away in a Manger, Chapter 4, from A Year Down Yonder. Christmas was in the air, and Miss Butler had us girls making gifts in home at class. We ought to have been learning invisible mending and turning hems to make our clothes last. But Miss Bus- Butler decreed hot pads for our loved ones, made by crocheting used bottle caps into circular patterns. Ina Ray was my crocheting partner, and she was all thumbs with a crochet hook. Her hot pad bunched up in the middle like a skull cap. She wore it on her head until Miss Butler told her to take it off. I couldn't picture giving Grandma a hot pad made of bottle caps crocheted together. So I let Ina Ray have mine for her mother. I hadn't thought about giving Grandma anything. Somehow, I didn't think Grandma and Christmas went together. I was lucky to have Ina Ray, though. Carlene Lovejoy was still looking straight through me, and she sent the tone for the rest of the girls. I hadn't made a lot of headway in all these weeks. Ina Ray heard Gertrude Messin, Messer Schmidt tell Monovec that I wasn't as pushy as they thought I'd be, but that was as far as I'd got. If there was one point in my favor, it was that I wasn't as well-dressed as they feared. I had two wool skirts. One had been mothers. The other belonged mostly to the moss. With my, with my three sweaters, I could get through the week, but I was hurting for shoes, and my winter coat was a disgrace. Carlene had five different outfits, top to toe for every day of the week. She always wore silk stockings on Fridays, though some of her shoes may have been her mother's. Her sweater with drawstring neckline and pom-poms was much admired. But as Carlene said in her airy way, considering the boys in our school, there wasn't much point in looking your best. But now, Christmas was coming, and the annual school Christmas program, so we all had to pull together. The entire student body was to be in the chorus, though half of us couldn't carry a tune if it had handles. When Miss Butler ran us through angels we have heard on high, we sounded like starlings in a tree. There was to be a nativity scene, and she assigned us parts. Joseph, the three kings, and some shepherds just about exhausted the supply of boys. Nobody wanted Augie Fluke on the stage. His hair was growing out, but he looked like a plucked chicken. The girls' parts were for baby Jesus, mother, and a heavenly host of angels. The idea that a boy could be an angel never occurred to Miss Butler. The school was rocketed by the news that I was to play baby Jesus' mother. I was surprised myself. Someone was heard to remark, What was Miss Butler dreaming of? A Chicago girl playing the Virgin Mary? The idea! It was Carlene. As we had to come up with our own costumes, I thought I could get by with bedsheets. The program was all the the Christmas some of us would have. Money was tighter than last year. The two topics on everybody's mind there at the end of 1937 were something to eat and money. Not that I ever went hungry at Grandma's, but there was hunger around, and with Grandma, money remained a mystery. I made my way home from school one early December day, scooping snow with my open-toed shoes. Strangely, Grandma wasn't home. Just... At dusk, when I was up in my room, still wearing my old plaid coat, something drew me to the window. Coming up the road by the Wabash tracks was a fearful figure, a lumbering hump shape bent into a swirling snow. Its head was swathed in something. Strapped to its back was a long wicker basket. Its boots left black footprints behind. I hugged my skimpy coat tight and felt the empty house around me. The figure was at our fence line when it looked up at my window and me. It was Grandma. I was down in the kitchen as she came in, shaggy with snow. She slung the big basket aside. Then she untied the shawl that held her hat on. She flung Grandpa Doddle's hat, old coat, at a chair before the fire. Underneath, she was wearing Grandpa's rubber chest waters that were like the rubber bib overalls. They strained across her bosom and pulled at her shoulder straps. She was all in black rubber, almost up to her chins. Of all the figures she ever cut... "'This was this one took the cake. "'I often wondered what she buried Grandpa Dondle, in. "'She seemed to wear every stitch he'd owned. "'Chilly out there,' she rubbed her big red hands together. "'My teeth is chattering like a woodpecker with palsy. "'Grandma, why were you out tam- tramping the countryside in this weather?' First no,' she explained. "'It's my busy season. "'It's all work, work, work. "'I'll die standing up like an old ox.' "'What good would it do me to question her more?' I peered into the tall wicker basket. It was half full of shells, walnut shells. They didn't tell me a thing. I'll admit the scene of Grandma fighting her way out of all that rubber beside the heat of the stove was like shedding a skin. Below it, she wore two crumpled house dresses and a cardigan sweater. Under that, a quick peek of long-handled flannel underwear, a Union suit, Grandpa's. At the supper table, I mentioned that Miss Butler had picked the parts for the Christmas program. I confided that I was baby Jesus's mother. They still do nativity scenes, Grandma said. We done them when I was a country girl in a one-room schoolhouse. What part did they give you? Joseph, she said. And once a camel. I was always the biggest. After I dried the dishes, I opened up my homework. They had homework down here too, sadly. Miss Butler could really dole it out. Mr. Hinkmeyer was no slouch. Grandma sat at the other end of the table, nodding, while I tried to diagram some sentences. I moved on to biology, falling into the rhythm of Grandma's snore. A Seth Thomas steeple clock stood on a high shelf. When it struck ten, Grandma jerked awake. She looked around the room, astonished. It was her belief that she never slept, not even in bed. Is that the time? She pointed down the table at me. You better get booted up and bundled up. She was out of the chair, shaking down the stove. Now she reached for her hat and shawl and felt Grandpa's coat to see if it was dry. I clutched my forehead. Grandma, it's the dead of night. But a moonlight night, she shimmied into her chest waters and stuffed her skirt tails inside. Grandma, it's a school night. I need my sleep. Sleep? You'll sleep your life away and rot in the bed. You better pull on a pair or two of socks under your galash's. I had galashes, but hated wearing them. Grandma, where are we going? After a character who's smarter than we are, she said, struggling into the coat, clenching her jaw. When I came back into the kitchen, layered like Admiral Byrd, Grandma was rummaging through the mysterious wicker basket. She took inventory of various things buried in the walnut hulls. A coil of her picture wire, a handful of wooden stakes, she drew forth a small glass vial of some amber liquid. With a sly look... My way, she uncorked it and passed it under my nose. I reeled back. Grandma, that smells nasty. Depends on who's doing the smelling. She rummaged on, coming up with what looked like a rabbit's foot. It was something furry off a rabbit. What's that for, Grandma? Good luck? You might say so. She stood to hoist the basket onto her shoulder. Then she remembered and made for a knife drawer in the hosier cabinet. Out of the drawer, she drew a gun. I froze. It was nothing like the boulder bus behind the wood box. It was, in fact, a single-shot .22 pistol. But I didn't know that then. There was a lot I didn't know. Slipping the pistol into her pocket, she marched us both out the door into the night. We trod the icy ridges of the road, and the town fell back behind us. A cold, cloudless moon glared on white fields. I walked in Grandma's shadow, hearing the basket thump her back, and the walnut hulls danced to her step. Of course, I should be sound asleep in my bed by now, and I couldn't feel my toes and Grandma was packing a pistol, but it was a beautiful, but it was beautiful out here, like a black- and white Christmas card. The ice on the woven wire fence was a lacework of diamonds, and only Grandma and I were awake in all this stillness, at least I hope so. We must have walked halfway to Cowgill's farm before she nudged me off the road. We jammed a gate against. Adrift and entered someone's field. The snow was deeper here. Grandma led the way as we kept to the fences to the far corner of the field. She put a hand to hold me back. She wore railroader's gloves. Then I heard the scream, a scream too human from down in the dipping corner of the field that the moon missed. An answering scream froze in my throat. Grandma shrugged out of the basket and whipped the pistol from her pocket. A moonbeam glanced the black metal of the narrow barrel as she aimed into the dark corner where two fences met. She fired straight into the scream. My knees begged to buckle. She was down on all fours now, the black coat fanning out in the snow, her hands busy. She worked intently, biting off one glove to use her bare hand to do whatever she was doing. She tugged at a wire, and powdery snow shook loose off a fence post. Metal clicked. Then she pulled back and held him up by the neck. "'It was a fox, red, though black in the moonlight. "'His head lolled against her fist. "'His eyes were black beads, but he was dead, "'drilled through the head to put him out of his misery. "'A slender stem seemed to connect "'his hanging mouth to the snow, "'but that was a thin trickle of blood. "'I fought the supper in my throat. "'Grandma dropped the fox in the snow "'and reached for the jawed spring trap "'that had caught it, a victor number two. "'As I would come to know,' She pulled herself to her feet to toss the trap into the basket. The walnut hulls were to disguise a human scent. So were the rubber chest waters. Oh, I had lots to learn. Once I was over the first shock. Replacing her gloves, she plunged her whole arm into the basket and came up with another trap. She fished for the tuft of rabbit fur and the vial of amber liquid and the picture wire. Then she was down in the snow again, gasping with the work and the cold. "'Steam rose off her. "'She wired a trap to a fence post. "'She struck the little flag of rabbit fur "'in the workings of the trap "'and drew the cork from the vial with her teeth. she driven the wooden stake. "'Now she poured a little of the fluid on it. "'Grandma, what is that stuff?' "'Fox urine,' she said, "'and set the jaws of the trap. "'Once more she dragged herself upright. "'We moved on along the fence. "'She gave me the trapping basket to carry, "'making me part of this.' She swung the fox by his bush tail after she'd reloaded the pistol. "'He's smart,' Grandma said, mostly to herself, but teaching me. "'Wiley, he can smell me, and I can't smell him. "'But there's some fox in me, and I know how he thinks. "'He likes fence lines and standing water and ditches, "'and I need the snow to track him.'" We came to two more of her traps. I guess I was relieved to see them empty. Then, on across another pasture, a trap yielded a fox already dead. "'Though Grandma was quick on the trigger, "'I think she was glad of that. "'I was. "'She tied her two foxes together with twine from her pocket. "'She was never without twine. "'We followed a fresh track of prints "'to the edge of a frozen drainage ditch "'where she had set another trap. "'How quick and sure she worked "'with those stiff old hands of hers. "'I was cold right through. "'We worked back to the road by a meandering route, "'leaving her own tracks behind. "'Now she had four foxes twined together.' When she held them up, you could see how they be, fox furs, with glass eyes arranged around some lady's shoulders, far from here. The next day, Grandma skinned the foxes and nailed their pelts to the cobhouse wall. And when the fur broker came around, they did a deal. He tried his best, telling her he was mainly in the market for muskrat and beaver, but she was better with foxes and at driving a bargain. She sold every last skin at her price. This began to clear up the mystery of where Grandma got such ready mitt ready money as she had. I went out with her many a December night when the snow was on the ground. Something drew me away from the warm stove. I dreaded the scream of a a trapped fox, but I'd have heard it anyway in my head at home. So I'd go out with grandma to work her traps in the ebony and silver nights. There were little changes stirring in me. I began to notice how old grandma was. How hard she worked herself. How far from town she'd roam in the frozen nights across uneven ground. I began to want to be there with her to make sure she'd come safely home. At school, we practiced for the Christmas program all month long. Miss Butler couldn't sing either, but she was a feisty director. After we'd run low how a rose into the ground, she took it off the program. And she wasn't satisfied with our once in Royal David City. She took the Christmas program personally, as teachers do. We had our stage props now, a radiating tinfoil star, and one of those mangers you see in nativity scenes and nowhere else. Baby Jesus was a battered doll with eyes that opened and closed. It was Ina Ray's. She said she'd had it when she was little, but the rumor was that she still played with it. I had a sheet shawl and drapings. Carlene Lovejoy looked straight out of Hollywood in her satin gown and wings as head angel, but other people whined that they weren't nearly set for the big night. In a rehearsal, both Johnson boys went bone white and fainted. They had bad cases of stage fright, though they were only shepherds. Grandma naturally took no interest, even when I complained to her about Carlene Lovejoy's halo. It was all tinsel and practically lit up. Grandma was busy, but then I wouldn't have taken her for a Christmas kind of woman anyway. Still, one day after school, I found her poring over a mail order catalog. She handed me the one from Sears. "'open to fashions and footgear for the junior miss "'and the younger, active woman. "'Pick you out a pair,' she said. "'Grandma, do I get a Christmas present?' "'I said to test her. "'You need shoes,' she said. "'Otherwise, you'll be binding your feet in rags "'to get through the winter, like Valley Forge.' "'I considered every pair on every page, "'trying them on in my mind. "'A lot rode on my decision. "'These shoes had to go everywhere I went, "'and there'd be room in the toes, "'which made my heart sing.' Grandma had long grown restless when I finally made my choice. They had to be practical with a closed toe, and still being 15, I wanted something a little older with a Cuban heel. I knew they'd have to lace up or Grandma wouldn't go for them. I checked off a pair, gunmetal gray to go with everything. Grandma considered my choice, the toothpick hovering. "That them?" she said at last. "Whoa! $2.75." Her eyes filled her spectacles. I remember when you could shoe a whole family and the horse for that money. But then we drew paper patterns around my feet to send back for the right size. She filled out the order form with the toothpick, a slant in the corner of her mouth. She stamped the return envelope. That's the only time I ever saw her use a stamp. Later, I caught her studying the catalog from Lane Bryant. Winter and spring of 1938, modes for the fuller-figured woman. But I stole away without a word. The days slipped faster off the December calendar. Tensions mounted at school, and both Johnson brothers were often absent. Carlene Lovejoy peenered in advance. Clearly, she thought that her angel was going to outshine my Virgin Mary. She was going to be the Christmas program's center of attention, or know the reason why. Something was coming over Grandma, too. She was jumpier than a jackrabbit, and the short days were too long for her, One evening, when it was hardly dark, she had us both out tramping the road north. We pulled an old handmade sled of my dad's. Grandma, now where are we going? Greens, she replied. When we came came upon Ashbury Chapel, standing out in the open country, I noticed the graveyard. It was screened by a stand of evergreens. Grandma, I said, you wouldn't. No, she wouldn't swipe Christmas greens from a graveyard, though I heard it cross her mind. "'We tramped on to the timber in the bottoms along Salt Creek. "'There we found long-needle pine and blue spruce. "'Grandma took Augie Flukes' knife to them, "'and we began to stack the sled with greenery. "'Then, as if it was meant to be, we came upon a little fir tree. "'It wasn't three feet tall and far from full, but Grandma fell on it, "'and her knife gnawed away at its spindly, spindly trunk. "'We trudged back to town with the greens tied to the sled.' I went over the woods to bring a torch, Jeanette Isabel, in my mind. Grandma was looking ahead. By the night of the program, I should have known something was up. Grandma had lit the stove in the front room for the first time this winter. A merry fire crackled behind in, missing glass windows, and she was hanging a wreath in the bay. The Christmas tree stood in a nest of cotton batting on her marble-topped table. It was decorated with a string of popcorn and pine cones from the timber. On top was a tin star she'd cut out of a can. I stood soaking in the warmth of the room, pine scented. The idea of going to the Christmas program herself had clearly not crossed Grandma's mind. She certainly wasn't dressed for it. I was. I had on my costume, bristling with pins. Underneath it, my new gunmetal shoes, fresh from the box. And over all last year's plaid coat. "'Now it had lush cuffs of red fox fur, "'making my sleeves long enough again.' "'Grandma turned on me in surprise. "'She looked down to see I was wearing sheets. <clears throat> "'Grandma, it's the program tonight.' "'Waving away her own forgetfulness, she said, "'Well then, you better wear this.' "'She produced something from a big apron pocket. "'It looked like a coil of balding wire, balling wire. wire. <clears throat> "'She handed it over. "'It was a coil of balling wire.' Twisted in it were tiny tin stars cut from cans, a day's work to make. Grandma stood back, her hands clasped, a little eagerness in her eyes. Watch out, them stars don't dig your scalp. She'd made me a halo so Carlene Lovejoy and all her tinsel wouldn't outshine me. It looked more like a crown of thorns, but I handled it carefully. I'd have come dangerously near kissing Grandma then, if she'd let me. Then I was walking through town in galoshes to save my shoes. We'd done all our rehearsing at school, but the program was to be at the United Bethlehem Church. Though Jesus was born in a stable, the school basement didn't seem quite right. The church threw stained glass light out on the snow, and people flocked up the front steps. As I went inside, the train from St. Louis pulled in, and the Wabash Depot. At the Wabash Depot. The whole town became a little village under a Christmas tree with the electric train circling and the glowing cardboard houses and the steepled church sunk in cotton snow. If you think one Christmas program is like another, you didn't see ours. The robbing room where the girls got ready was full of bad omens. Who knew what went on across the chancel where the boys were dressing in a choir room with Mr. Hinkemeyer. The girls who were only in chorus flapped like bats in United Brethren choir robes. The angels were Irene Stemple, Mom, Mona Vec, Gertrude Messerschmidt, and the littlest angel was Ina Ray Gage. None of their wings matched. Ina Ray, the smallest, had the biggest wings chicken wire. She could barely move in the room. It was like a birdcage in there. Then in swept Carlene Lovejoy. Her shimmering gown cut on the bias was meant to outdo the other girls. Her halo hovered high over her head, supported from behind. She was made up for the New York stage. She'd shaved off her eyebrows and drawn on new ones. Her cheeks were pinker than nature. Her lips were a deep red Cupid's bow bow with fingernails to match. She was a natural blonde, and that was the only natural thing about her. Miss Butler edged into the room, and Carlene very nearly blinded her. Carlene! What all that stuff off your face, she said, stricter than school. You look like you're bleeding from the mouth! Carlene bridled and stood firm. Seeing that I was in three hanging sheets, Miss Butler turned to secure my costume. When I reached for my coat and drew out the balling wire halo, she nearly swallowed her pins. But there was an opening night excitement even among us. From backstage you could hear the rustle of paper programs and the creak of pews the organ boomed hark the herald angels sing and there was no going back the united brethren preacher reverend Lutz, rose to quiet the crowd with a passage from saint luke miss butler was pushing the choir girls on we in costume were to hang back here off stage singing through the open door to add volume but keeping out of sight until the nativity scene no choir boys came forth because they were all in costume But we could see shepherds and kings in the door behind Mr. Hinkemeyer. We sang our hearts out on stage and backstage. Miss Butler kept the pace pacing peppy though we never did get the bugs out of the once in royal David city. Then came the tricky part. We of the nativity scene had to creep low under the curtains behind the choir. Here was the stable all set up with cardboard sheep. I groped for my stool beside the manger. Above me, Milton Grider fell into place as Joseph. We had shepherds behind us and kings opposite. Between, under the stars, the heavenly host of so-called angels, Carlene, at center stage. From what I could see of Milton, he was wearing his father's bathrobe and a false beard. The kings were beginning to hold up frankincense and mirth. As the choir parted and broke into O Holy Night, Mr. Hinkemer pulled the curtain and the lights went up on us. Mr. Fluke was the electrician. We practiced how to sit stone still for up to five minutes. When we froze in place, I ought to have been looking into the manger at baby Jesus, but the curtain caught me staring out at the audience, so I had to stay that way. Long lay the world in sin and error pinning, sang the choir as I counted the house. The full pews gasped as we came into view, a living picture. And why not? Milton in a bathrobe and a false beard, Carlene like Sally Rand without her fans, Ina Ray looking like she was about to take off, me in bawling wire and three sheets showing a Cuban heel. As I stared unblinking at the far door of the church it opened, Grandma walked in. It had to be her. She filled the door. A tall man was with her. I watched her scoop people along a pew and sit. The pew popped like gunfire beneath her. When the choir went into What Child Is This, the star lit up and sent a beam down on Ina Ray's doll. This was to be the high moment, and was. The minute the beam hit the manger, baby Jesus roared out a loud wail. Milton moved. A shepherd's crook clattered to the floor. I couldn't hold my pose. I shifted my crowned head to see, in the spotlight manger, a real, live baby, red as a beep punching the air with tiny fists. Carlene was upstage and went completely out of character. A wave of wonderment swept the pews. Some people may have thought a living baby had been cast in the part, and if so, whose? But then, Ina Ray, flapping her wings, shrieked out, "'Where is my dolly?' Miss Butler fell back, and the choir broke ranks, never to reach. "'We three kings of Orient are.' Reverend Lutz, Principal Fluke, and Mr. Hinkamere all advanced on the manger like wise men in street clothes, but a newborn in a damp rag for a diaper or swaddling clothes stunned them. Now people stood on pews trying to see. Suddenly, Grandma was there, heaving up the steps past the pulpit. Her hat was alive with pheasant feathers. She reached into the manger for the red, squalling baby. She lifted it up, and the light was good. The baby had one blue eye and one green. Grandma blinked. She held it up to the audience. It's all right, she hollered out. It's a verdict! They talked about that Christmas program for years. In its way, it was the best one they ever had, though Miss Butler never really got over it. Of course, the baby was another reason why Mildred Burdick never had been back after my first day of school in September. Just when the Burdicks had managed to spirit an unwanted baby into the manger, we couldn't imagine, and... Why they thought the whole town wouldn't know another verdict when they saw one. Nobody could say. Grandma pointed out that the verdicts weren't broke out with brains. The general view was that the United Brethren Orphanage could find the baby a better home. The evening lay in ruins on the table, straw at our feet. But there was a one more miracle. I looked up at the tall man behind Grandma, and it was Joey, taller and leaner and handsomer. But Joey changed, and the same. And so I was looking my Christmas in the face. I hugged the wind out of him, tangled him in my sheets, nicked his chin with my halo. It was Joey, fresh from the West. Off the evening train, Grandma had sent him the ticket. That's where most of the Fox money went. That's what it was for. I had to turn away quick. There was a lump in my throat, and that would mean tears on my face, and I didn't want Joey to see them. "'Then, with a rush of wings, two angels lit on either side of me. "'The gawky one was Gertrude Messerschmidt. "'The dumpy one was Ina Irene Stemple. "'Is that your brother, Mary Alice?' wondered Gertrude. "'Suddenly, my new best friend. "'Oh, Mary Alice, honey, he looks just like Tyrone Power.' "'Irene breathed, feathering out, but taller. "'Her pudgy small hand found mine in the drapings, and she clung to me. "'After we got home that night, Grandma showed me another ticket.' It was a round trip to Chicago for me, so I could go with Joey to have some Christmas with mother and dad. It must have cost Grandma her last skin. First, though, we keep Christmas right here around the spindy little tree in the warm front room. Just the three of us. Like the old summer visits. Grandma and Joey and me. But what I remember best about that evening is the three of us walking home from church. I see us yet strolling the occasional sidewalks with our arms around grandma just to keep her from skidding because she said she was like a hog on ice and every star above us was a Christmas star.